morning, everybody. All right, as Danny said, we are in the second chapter of Acts, and Peter is on the stage, for sure. And um, this is, um, uh, the focus today is going to be his sermon. The, really the first big sermon of the Christian era, the, uh, the first big sermon that takes uh, account of the resurrection. You know, if you, if you take away the sermon that Jesus preached uh, to the uh, two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus, um, this is, this is uh, I guess, the second one, and the, the, the first one um, uh, by Peter, and there are other sermons um, in Acts, and we'll look at some of those as well we we started uh we got a a glimpse of it uh, last uh last week as we looked at the prophecy of joel but i think it's good to see it all together because this is a preacher who is um has has heard jesus teaching for a few years grew up in synagogue of course but a pretty good sermon by a preacher who didn't start off that way, right? Started off as a fisherman and had the filling of the Holy Spirit and now we hear his sermon. So it's good to take it all together and my guess is that if I read this straight through, it'll probably take a couple of minutes, maybe three minutes And then, if I was smart, I'd probably just sit down. But we'll look at a few things in more detail. So you can follow along, or you can just listen to Peter. Verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, The sun shall turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held up by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the province of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's the sermon. I don't know, was anybody timing it? Probably three minutes, maybe. We have the text. We have a big section, and I don't know if your Bible is like mine, but it's indented, these quotes from the Old Testament, verses 17 through 21 from the prophet Joel. We touched on that last week. Verses... 25 through 28 and then again in verse 34 and 35 we have quotes from the Psalms about David so he has his text he's teaching and preaching from it and he just lays it out so how do we how do we look at this like any good sermon it can probably outlined in a lot of different ways. I like um, one particular way that, or a couple of particular ways actually, that I found in, in my reading. One commentator says, the first thing he did was explain what had happened. Now you remember what we talked about last week. There was the big sound, like a rushing wind. The multitude gathered to come to that and when they got there, you had 120 or so people praising God in different languages that correlated with the international makeup of the people that were in Jerusalem. This was amazing. This was a miracle. This was something that could not be explained. The only half explanation they could come up with is that the people were drunk and that was probably by the people who didn't understand any of the foreign languages so part of the start of his sermon is to explain what they just saw and that's where the quote from Joel comes it's not necessarily saying that this is a complete fulfillment of all the things that Joel said because we know that in context that some of these signs and wonders about the moon turned to blood and all this sort of thing are reserved for the day of the Lord in Old Testament terms, the, the, the final act of, 
are uh, acts of God that have yet to happen. But he quotes this saying that this is, depending on how you look at it, the end of the beginning or the start of the ending. The same Holy Spirit that Joel was talking about, he's saying to them, that's what's happened. The same Holy Spirit that Joel was talking about then, this is the same Holy Spirit. The things that you are seeing is because of the Holy Spirit. That's what has happened. And then he says, let me tell you how it happened. And like all good preachers, he gets to Jesus pretty quickly. And he says, you know what? In verse 22, 23, Jesus was a real person. They all knew about Jesus. They all knew about Jesus. It was not disputed that he was a great rabbi. It was not disputed that he had a big following. Remember, we're just probably less than three months from Palm Sunday when huge sections of the population were laying down their cloaks in front of him, right? We're not that far removed. They knew who Jesus was. They knew of the miracles. I mean, even the Pharisees didn't dispute the miracles. Their only quibble was whether he did them on the Sabbath or not. So it says there was no dispute. It says, verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He's just calling upon the people that are already there they can already attest to who Jesus was in terms of a miracle man, a teacher, a rabbi, a man worthy of some respect. They all knew that. So they said, first of all, consider Jesus. Second of all, look at what David said about Jesus. And he goes through, and this is a, a tough little text because there's a lot of pronouns here. I saw the Lord always before me. My heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh, you will not abandon. My soul. It's hard to know who's the I and the me and the my. And you can actually look at it a couple different ways. But the big point is that heretofore, people would have thought David was probably talking about himself and his connection with God but then he makes the point in verse 27 the person that he's talking to won't go to Hades and won't ever see corruption in other words this person is not going to be left there not going to be abandoned in Hades not going to be left in Hades which in Hebrew terms would have been the place of the dead it's not going to be left there and the body's not going to see decay. So his second point is, look at David. David talked about this. And we know Jesus had appeared to literally hundreds of people. People saw him. People saw that he wasn't abandoned to the grave. And they saw his body. It wasn't like Lazarus. Remember Lazarus, he was already starting to stink. No decay on Jesus. Scars, yes, 
but no corruption. So as Peter's second point was, David talked about this as a prophet. And then he gets down to his third point where he actually talks about the resurrection verbatim. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and we are all witnesses of it. And the we would have included not just him and the 11 and the 120, but probably others that were gathered there. Said, you know, that didn't require a lot of convincing because they knew that. Again, we're at this point uh, just weeks away from the resurrection. And then finally, he's saying, we have the Holy Spirit. It's verse 33. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he's saying what you've seen in terms of all these speaking in various languages is evidence of the Holy Spirit, and we couldn't have the Holy Spirit if Jesus wasn't already ascended and at the right hand of the Father. So a pretty tight set of arguments on not just what had happened but but how did we get to this point he's made that point and then we get to the the heart of the matter why did it happen and in verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now the Holy Spirit has already taken those words and started to work in the hearts of these people that are gathered. And it says in verse 37, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers what shall we do what shall we do and Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself what do we do what do we do? The big point, or one of the big points of Jesus, or rather of Peter's sermon, he made the point of who Jesus was and transitioned them from what they knew firsthand as a man, a miracle performer, uh, a teacher, a rabbi, the next step was one who had actually risen from the dead and said, you know what? It's even better than that. This is your Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one that David saw was going to be on the throne. this would have been so mind-boggling. Because remember, even earlier in Acts, the believers were asking, is this when the kingdom's going to start? Is this when, you know, the, 
you know, all the government stuff and Israel is going to be preeminent again and all that. And, you know, the, the corrective advice was, no, what has already happened is the big deal. And now he's leading these Jews. Remember, this is a Jew in Jerusalem on a Jewish holy day. Remember, this was the, the, the Pentecost, the Feast of the First Fruits, on a Jewish holy day, talking to Jews. Now, there were some Gentile proselytes, okay? So these were people who weren't born Jewish, but they had converted to Judaism. They were there too because they had come, you know, for the festivities. So this is all very, very steeped in the whole history of God and his people. And, and Peter's saying this is the culmination, Jesus, this one, is the Messiah and is now able to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit because of what he did and where he currently is. And he says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. So for the Jews and then those that are far off, which you could easily take to be the Gentiles. And we're going we're gonna to see the transition of the church being opened up to non-Jews as the book unfolds. And verse 40 says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You remember, as we've looked at the various Gospels, John the Baptist's message was what? Repent. And the early sermons of Jesus were what? Repent. And here we have, you know, when they asked Peter, what do we do? And he says, repent. You know, um, that seems to be a good starting point for anyone who is far off, either, you know, geographically or by your family tree or by your spiritual condition is to repent. Um, repent. It said, Peter said to them, when they asked him, what do you do? He said, repent. Looking a little bit closer to take, jump out of the flow of the sermon just a little bit, the phrase, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and so forth. Um, some people uh, couple repentance and baptism so closely together that they go too far by saying, Baptism is a requisite for salvation. Um, we know that that's not true, and we can, you know, I think we have touched on the concept of baptism periodically, uh, and we can talk about it again, but the point is repentance, and being baptized in the name of Jesus was 
you know, the, the Jews were used to baptisms. There were baptisms in Judaism as well. Um, remember, there were baptisms of John the Baptist. Jesus was baptized. I mean, this was uh, an outward um, uh, demonstration that you were following this new teaching. And, and that was the big point there. Um, baptism is not a requirement to be saved. Um, we're told to be baptized, so it's certainly an act of obedience. Um, it, it is following Jesus' example. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but, but he was. So uh, we know that baptism is a quick picture of, as it's often said by the pastors, the, the death and burial and then the resurrection of Christ. So it's a great um, way to identify. It's certainly um, an important moment for the believer uh, to look back and remember that day. Uh, I'm sure um, we probably all remember uh, the day we were baptized. Um, but it's not a requirement. It's important, but it's not a requirement. So um, uh, a few denominations have kind of strayed on that uh, a little bit. Also, uh, this latter part where it says and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit um, we know that receiving the Holy Spirit is what happens simultaneous with God saving us um, some people say well maybe that happens but then there's this other thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is a separate thing and a lot of um, charismatic denominations say um, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to speak in tongues, meaning unintelligible tongues, except for those who might interpret them. Um, that doctrine is is not um, right either, but uh, we won't go into that a whole lot more, but just to, to make that point. Um, as I was thinking about this and, and reading about this, I, uh, I came across a a commentator that was um, comparing how different other writers had tried to explain Peter's sermon. And one writer had, had said, you know, if, if Peter followed the typical pattern of a Jewish uh, sermon, so to speak, there would have been a reading from um, somewhere in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. There would have been a reading from... Um, uh, the Psalms and reading from the prophets um, and so uh, we certainly have uh, from the prophets and from the Psalms here and they speculated that the reading from the Torah might have been from Deuteronomy and I thought this was really interesting it's um, because we we find it says uh, in verse 40 and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. And so certainly um, uh, it's reasonable to, to wonder, well, what were these other words? And uh, this is uh, the, um, at least the, uh, a theory by one commentator that 
Peter may have had Deuteronomy 29 in mind. And I think it's, there's a connection here that I think offers some justification there. So you don't have to necessarily turn here, but you can if you want. So Deuteronomy uh, is, as especially this, these latter chapters of Deuteronomy, now they are at the end of their travels, right? They've come through the wilderness. They've done their 40 years of wandering. And now once again, they're on the brink of the promised land. And Moses has gone through and says, you know, here are the benefits if you follow me. Here are the curses if you don't. And Deuteronomy 29 is one more time the offer and the renewal of the covenant. And listen to Moses' sermon, so to speak, and think of the parallels to what Peter just says. So I'll pick up in verse 2. It says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants, to all his lands, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or ears to see or eyes to hear. I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Going down in verse 9, it says, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all you do. Verse 10, you are standing today, all of you before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And listen to this verse. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. So that verse just has great parallels to the latter part. Get the verse... Uh, let's see verse 39 this promise is for you and for your children all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord calls and here Moses is saying you've seen the signs and wonders and Peter says you've seen these signs and wonders And he says, Moses does, he says, but you haven't understood it. God hasn't given you the eyes to see and the ears to hear or the heart to understand. And Peter recognizes they've seen all this, but they haven't really put it all together. But Moses makes the point, today, with all of you standing here, 
I'm offering you to claim the promise that was given you. And Peter is saying, David prophesied to you. And you've got the Holy Spirit now that was promised. And the implication is, what are you going to do with this? Because they even ask, what do we do? And again, Moses says this promise, this covenant, is with whoever is here and with whoever is not here. And Peter has almost those same words. This is for you and also for those who are far off. I think that's pretty decent parallel. I think that was pretty good thinking by the, you know, whoever put those two passages alongside each other. Because you can just see the people who are on the brink of finally getting the true promised land that the whole of Scripture was leading up to. And are they going to step into it or not? And 3,000 of them did. 3,000 of them said, I'm in. And it says they were baptized and they were added that day. 3,000 souls in verse 41. So, all of Scripture, all of Scripture was leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it wasn't quite done. This promise when the Holy Spirit had to come. And that's when the, the culmination of the, of the offer and then the proper question, what do we do? And they said, repent. These next few verses will simply be an intro. Uh, we'll probably turn to them many times. The aftermath of this, what happened in the weeks and months afterwards, verse 42 and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is what it looked like when they stepped into the promised land. There was bounty as they shared amongst themselves. There was fellowship. There was um, teaching. They were looking back to what was their Bible. They still had the Old Testament. Now, they, now their eyes were really opened. Right? Moses said, you know, up till now your eyes haven't really been opened. Now they could look back like those two guys on the road to Emmaus and they could say, ah, I see it now. It makes so much sense. And that's kind of where we are. And we're such privileged people to, to be able to look back and see how it all fits together. This is the dawn of the church. Many, many churches have looked back on Acts 42 through 45 as a model and I think you could properly debate is this a description of what was going on or is it a proscription what should happen in other words is, is this a 
hard and fast model for every church. And that's probably something we'll explore as the time goes on. All right, better quit. Any comments? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our part in in this history, that you had such a great plan, and that you could even use evil men to bring about your plan. And the result of that is that we are among those whom you called, and we can be a part of that great family, uh, be a part of your people, and we can... Um, receive um, forgiveness through repentance, that we can uh, receive the Holy Spirit, that we can uh, be grafted in uh, to this great family. And we thank you for Jesus and for his work that brought it all about. In in his name I pray, amen. Thanks, everybody.